Good evening to our neighbors and listeners coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown. You are listening to the award-winning Germantown Info Hub Radio Hour. I'm the community reporter, Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And I'm Maleka Fruin, the community organizer at Germantown Info Hub here with Baby Bayou. The Info Hub Hour explores all things happening in Germantown and the city of Philadelphia and covers them in an hour or less. You can check out what is going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org, on Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, or on Facebook at germantowninfohub. So last week, I spoke with Lynette Medley of No More Secrets, Mind, Body, and Spirit, Inc. about the Spot Period Hub's new initiative. After giving away about 7 million products, the Spots team found that an astonishing 39% of their products were distributed out of the state. And so with those findings, the Spot team launched their Flow to 50 States initiative to expand their services and partner with organizations across the nation to do so. This fall, I got to work on a CY team as part of WPPM's new radio fellowship producing short news radio stories. And tonight you'll hear two pieces I've produced that both took place in Germantown. The first is on expungement clinics that were hosted by neighborhood organization Amir this past September. And then we'll hear about Crossroads Women's Center's new space on Wayne Avenue and how they plan on expanding their advocacy and events while working in the community. Now let's get into the show. All right, I am here with the founder of No More Secrets, Mind, Body, and Spirit, Inc., and the operator of the Spot Period Hub, Lynette Medley. Lynette, it has been, what, almost a year since you and I connected around the last written piece that I did for the Info Hub. But how are you today? I'm great. I'm great. I'm glad to just have another seat at the table and have a conversation with you guys. <laughs> yes, we love that seat. So before we get into our new conversation, I think it's helpful for us to just remind our neighbors of the work with No More Secrets and the Spot Period Hub. So just tell us about these, the overall mission, what it is you're combating, and then how you accomplish your objectives. Definitely. So No More Secrets, My Body, Spirit Incorporated is a comprehensive sexuality awareness organization. And under that umbrella, we have the Spot Period Menstrual Hub and Uterine Wellness Center, which is the nation's um, first full service drop in center to basically get free menstrual hygiene products, education, wellness, and uterine care. Uh, our mission is to really decrease health disparities in marginalized communities by offering resources, education, and safety. Uh, and again, how we got here is it's been a journey. <laughs> We've gotten here just by listening to our communities and really filling the gaps that exist in our um in our families and in our in our in the children and in the women and just really being able to address these deficits by actually giving concrete solutions to ending period poverty and menstrual insecurities. Just tell me a little bit about what period poverty is. So period poverty is the inability to access menstrual products in addition to access waste management and operable toilets during your menstrual cycle. Um, many think people think of period poverty as something that's happened internationally or somewhere that doesn't happen in the United States, but it happens and uh, in in, in, it happens every day in our communities and about two in four people are affected by period poverty. And unfortunately they suffer in silence just because of the stigma and taboo around periods as a whole. Wow. 
So do you have an estimate of how many menstrual products you've given away thus far? Oh, wow. Yes. So since we opened in 2001, we've given out over 7 million menstrual products. Every week, our organization services over 2,000 individuals and gives out over 63,000 menstrual products. Wow. That is a number. (laughs) That is definitely a number. And that's a number that clearly indicates the reach of this work. So... How have you seen the communities you work with transformed by this work? And then maybe additionally, have you seen others inspired by this work? Definitely. It's ironic when you have an organization that's uh, led by the community. And the reason I say that is there is a lot of organizations that are led by the leaders of the organization and by their perspectives and their positionality. But when you're guided by the organ by the community, then you can see the impact. And one of the biggest things that I've seen is the narrative shifting in our communities around talking about periods, talking about menstrual health and wellness, and really putting a voice to their experiences. Uh, I have people who now can articulate their wants, needs, and desires around menstrual health and wellness. So I think that's a big, uh, a big, you know, achievement. In addition, I see young children ages seven, eight, and nine being able to go to school, you know, during their menstrual cycle when they couldn't or stay after school for after school programs or go to tutoring. Um, I've had people who can participate in sports now where they once couldn't. And I also have parents who can buy the food and other things that they need to for their families because now they don't have to worry about um, trying to buy menstrual products. Let me ask this question. What is it about our society that keeps this conversation, A, taboo, but then makes the access to these essential items commodified? Why is is it? Yeah. You know what? I think that's a great question. I think historically, um, our culture has demonized the menstrual cycle. Um, And that's the way they've interpreted religious um, doctrine or historical doctrine. And they've kind of made the menstrual cycle seem as something that's not normal and natural, which we know is not correct. And because most of the laws and policies and um, language that comes from our country comes from a patriarchal, misogynistic point, it doesn't include menstrual cycle or women's health or menstruators health as a whole. So I think that's where it's come from. And it's actually evolved to actually have women and girls and other menstruators really take this on as truth. Because even when I'm talking to people in positions of power who menstruate and talk to them about the importance of adding this to Medicaid, adding this to Medicare, adding this to Wick and Snap, and, you know, really helping our communities who have already been pushed to the margins survive. They're like, well, I don't want to bring that to the floor. I don't want to bring that to the conversation. I don't want to bring that to the table because we're already looked at it as, as less than or as different. So I'm not going to bring this conversation. So I think that's where it is. We do not have anybody, if you really think about this, this, this conversation, who do you see and power really talking about this? What famous person do you see talking about this? Where do you really Mm -hmm. see these conversations happening? And I think that's what's happening is that, you know, we're disrupting and agitating a space that doesn't really want to address this issue. And we're bringing it to the forefront every day to say that this is a disgrace. We right now are going through, we're going to have elections. Do you see this in the forefront of anybody's platform? And to me, this makes no sense. 
To me, this is horrific to let allow people to continue suffering. And all the messaging that I do see is coming from a saviorism, I hate to say it, perspective or someone who hasn't had lived experience like me and my daughter. And they're talking about tampon taxes and putting them in schools and buildings, which we have already seen does not work because when the pandemic hit and all of these external auxiliary spaces shut their doors, our community still needed resources. So again, they need a monthly ongoing um, access to menstrual products and somehow we have to provide them for free, not discounted, not without tax, not in buildings, actually allow our communities to get monthly supplies so that they can decrease these health disparities and survival techniques that they're engaging in that are forcing them to sell their bodies, end up in jail, or just use maladaptive resources and um, methodologies, methodologies that are putting them in so much pain and suffering. Period. 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 I just had to ask that because I think that that's something that doesn't get answered a lot. I think that like they hear the word like period poverty, but there's no like real critical thinking sometimes around why this is able to go on. And a lot of times people search for the solution without knowing like the background to it. So I think that you set up a really great framework around that and a, a good historical reference as to why um, these things are able to go on and why they're able to just prosper. Right. Definitely. So let's get into, yep, fest, exactly. <laughs> so let's get into one of your newest ventures. So given the impact of your work locally and then some out of out of the local area, you're looking to reach the entire country to combat period poverty through your flow to 50 states initiative. So tell me a little bit more about that. Definitely. So uh no more secrets in the spot period. Again, like you said, the spot is the nation's first menstrual hub. And we just recently launched the spot on the go, which you guys cover, which is the world's first mobile menstrual health clinic. So what we're doing is raising $1 million to expand our efforts to basically passionately end period poverty by offering direct support to vulnerable populations in crisis with menstrual supplies on a personal level with education and resources. So one of the things that we did is we listened attentively to the voices of the people in our community um, who needed help accessing products. And we realized that it's not being done in the way that we do it. People are not giving three to five month supplies. People are not giving products directly. And people are not really um, in the community um, giving like options to request products and actually to donate products to these communities. And one of the biggest things is that after analyzing our data, our interns learned that 39% of the products that we give now are going out of state. So I think, again, because of our lived experience with period poverty and the way that we understand how that suffering, you know, takes place, we have a model that has not been replicated and, and can't, again, because of our personal um, efforts in doing this work. So now we want to expand to have these options in 50 states so that, again, we're not just giving out products, but also giving that uterine health and wellness and education and safety so that we can basically um, attack and address this horrific epidemic that's going on in our communities. Thank you for that. I was actually going to ask if this was going to be more of just the um, menstrual product aspect, or if you were looking to also like kind of train people through this model that you've created to give um, people with periods a safe and equitable learning environment. So that answers that. So I, I appreciate that. 
<laughs> and so I want to know if there is a plan for how quickly you would plan to expand. Um, <laughs> all 50 states is a lot of grounds to cover. And so I'm sure it'll take some time, but I wonder how that would look. And like, if there are certain areas you would expect to expand to first and then kind of make your way, do more places make sense than others to start first? Definitely. Well, one of the things I do want to reiterate is that we are not creating another standalone model like we have here in Philadelphia, because this is what's the prototype. This is what we needed to create. And in creating this space and understanding how important it was, um, what we want to do is kind of like the model of other uh health uh, industry models is that partner with community organizations that are already in the community giving out some type of resources because they already have a relationship. Like we've had a relationship with Philly for what, eight to 10 years. So they already have a relationship. People trust them and they're willing to go to them. So the difference is that we wanna partner with people who are already doing some type of work in the community. Uh, so we're actually rolling out quicker than what I thought I would roll out. But again, we already, as you know, have HBCU satellite hubs. We have um, HBCU Satellite Hubs. We're giving out free menstrual products on HBCU campuses because of partnerships. So we're expanding some of those. So they will be in different states. In addition, we have already partnered with the organization in Delaware, um, HBCU in Maryland, and also we will in conversation with a food organization in Jersey. So all of them will be rolled out before January. I love that. I appreciate you also distinguishing between those two things because I read on your donation page excerpt, um, which mentioned the need for honesty and sincerity. And so I'm guessing that's part of the reason why establishing a relationship and making these more satellite focused rather than trying to actually replicate is more important because you mentioned a little bit about that community trust. And even with ourselves being the info hub and having to sometimes connect with other neighbors, residents, community leaders, that trust aspect is important. So why are those two traits also important in navigating this work from your point of view as well? Definitely. And that's a great question, because one of the ways that people are vulnerable and share their truths is because they trust and they feel safe. I do not know the people in Jersey the way a community organization who's been functioning in Jersey knows that community. I do not know the students on Morgan University's campus the way the people who who operate and, and, and live on that campus and, and, and oversee that campus understands that community. So even when we opened up our HBCU hub on Lincoln University, it was in partnership with a student group that already operates on that campus. I think that's, again, one of the things that I've seen social, social service organizations do. They come from their ideologies and say, hey, we're going to do this without understanding the escape of the, the community that they're servicing. Again, you can do great work, but you don't have to be the leader. You can kind of guide the process and be on the side of someone as you basically service the community. I agree. And it makes, honestly, it, it makes for a better outcome because everything Definitely. is in one size fits all. And I think that people need to understand that. Like you can bring something to a neighborhood or to a location, but it doesn't even necessarily mean that it's going to work because they'll be like, oh, this model worked for us. And I'm like, yeah, but what are the people like over there? What Definitely. are the happenings that happen in that area? Like, how do you know that this is actually a, a need? I think there's a need for everything everywhere. However, I think that it's needed in more places than others sometimes. Um, so I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So you've been making big strides since the last time we spoke, this work has been progressing and you just, so you just started to settle the last time we spoke, you had just started to settle into the new location on Germantown Ave. 
Um, you were talking about the spot on the go P um, mobile service, which is now up and running, like you had mentioned. But even since then, you were a part of some academic studies and reports that were published. And of course, just recently, you were featured on the Rachel Ray Show for your dedication and service to ending period poverty. How are you handling all of this, but also making sure to find time for yourself? <laughs> I just, I even I have just to need laugh. that. I need that. <laughs> I had to laugh at that myself. And I have to always remind myself that you can't pour from an empty pitcher. And the one thing that I can say is that I'm surrounded by people who love and support me, you know, from my partner to my children, to my family, to even the, the interns that I met at Lincoln and um, some of my medical advisory board people who send people. I am blessed to have those people who like they're here now, like we're on the call. They're out there helping with the, you know, helping give out products and, and doing things. But what I have learned to do is take the time that I need. Like I think next week, is it next week, Halloween week? Me and I are going to take yep. like another week off. So what I've learned is that I cannot operate and take a day. A day does nothing for us because again, we came from Baltimore. We were in Jersey City, then New York and Baltimore and everywhere else. So a day is not going to do it. So we just work like crazy. Then we take a, a block of time to regroup, get ourselves together because energy, I, I'm an energy person. You know, I'm an energy person and I don't want my energy to be, in a, in, a, in a negative way and it feeds into my community because, you know, I'm here every day, you know, interacting with my community and I don't want them to come in already in a vulnerable state needing help and feel like, oh, well, Annette, you know, is giving off some some weird energy to me and think it's about them. So we we literally take the time to take blocks of time, maybe it's a week and then we come back and work another eight weeks, you know how we do, and then come back and forth. So I think that's the way I've been doing it. And also I will not answer an email or a call. Like if I can't do it, you know, if I don't have that energy at that moment, again, because again, I want to make sure that I'm authentic and truthful. And if I do answer, sometimes I'll say, you know what, I'm going through something and the community members love it. And they're like, oh my gosh, Ms. Lynette, you're so honest about it. I'll be like, well, I'm not feeling good this day, baby, or I'm tired. <laughs> and this is, I just don't want, and they're like, oh, Ms. Lynette, rest. Oh my gosh, take care of yourself. Because again, I'm a real person. There's no levels to this. I'm just mm -hmm. like them. And you know, that's no a paycheck or uh, a funding issue. We're all all the same. Let's be honest. So I think that's how I operate. Um, but I'm being more intentional to take blocks of time, not one day because it doesn't do anything because we work all, all week. So to really take those time to really... Uh, to, 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 to have some time for reflection because I think we move so fast and this has been a journey. I never would, if you would have asked me when we opened, if this is where we would be, it, it's no way I would have ever thought that we would be where we are now in over a year. It's just, um, it's just, it, it's just a miracle. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. I agree. I 100% agree. I thank you for answering that question. That's just something I, I I needed to know. Just in general, I talk to so many people who do amazing work every day. And just recently in the habit, I've been thinking to myself, because even for myself, I was just on a friend that after like five o'clock, I tell people like, I've been forcing myself to put down, to turn off the computer, put down my pen, pencil, whatever it is I'm using to write and have the rest of the day to myself. Because I'm like, we are people. We're not, we're not machines. And a lot of people That's don't true. necessarily always see folks who serve the community as that. And I understand there's an urgency and there's a need around things, but people sometimes have to understand that people have to reset. They have to replenish, but then also ourselves, we have to 
understand exactly what what you just said and what I just said as well. So I appreciate you in that offering too. I would just like to say that we're coming up on time. So I just want to make sure there's some space for you to let folks know how they can support this initiative and then generally how they can connect with your work further. Definitely. So the way you can support our flow to 50 states, you can go on our website, nomoresecretsmbs.org, and you can just donate under our donor box. And also you can go uh, on any of our social media handles, the spot period hub or no more secrets MBS. And we have a link in bio that way. Again, we definitely need fiduciary funding to be able to service and to locally and nationally to do this work. But we also have donation options where you can go to our Amazon wish list, or you can um, just bring products to the spot by actually setting up um, a time to come here. So again, and also our flow to 50 states, $1 million uh, challenge is not just around money is also in products you can do support you can do sponsorships and also sharing this information and i think that's the biggest way to put this message out there and there y'all have it so lynette it's been a pleasure connecting with you once again about your work to eliminate period poverty it won't be our last conversation i'm 100 <laughs> sure about it and i always look forward to them because of just the insightfulness of it all and just this very niche but also needed and necessary work and of course, the Info Hub is wishing you the best of luck in your flow to 50 states. And we look forward to all the good that will come from it. Thank you so much. Truly Absolutely. appreciate it. All right. Be well and keep spreading the joy, okay? You too. All right. Once again, that was Lynette Medley speaking about the flow to 50 states initiative and period poverty. After our short break, we'll hear Maleka's audio pieces that she recorded about the expungement clinics hosted by Emir and the Crossroads Women's Center. The sounds of polishing floors and echoed conversation is regular background noise at the new Crossroads Women's Center located in the Germantown neighborhood of Philadelphia. The space is huge compared to their last location. The multi-generational and multiracial organization has been saving money for years and bought the space in Germantown on Wayne Avenue knowing it would need a lot of work to make it usable. But the work is almost done and the organizers are ready for everything that could happen in the new space. One of the organizers, Carolyn Hill, explores the new possibilities there. Just different apartments for different things that's going on out here. People with um, housing, people with medical, DHS, people in prison, the students that go to school and stuff, keep them out of trouble open up a, a center for them to come to, interact, daycare. It's a, I'm looking for a lot. That's how big that center is. And um, I'm looking for all that to go on in there and helping people with all their problems, you know. Where so we sit down. We don't do the work for them. They got to do it themselves, but we're there to help them. Crossroads is a grassroots collective, and its advocacy and social work has been around for decades, centering women and families and caregivers of every gender. Their model of lived experience and self-help isn't the most traditional of nonprofits. And organizer Tree Muldrow talks about what that could look like in the new center. Uh, we're not 
you know, um, held by government agencies or, or CEOs or, you know, we are a self-help group. Uh, most of us that have joined came in with an issue and we, you know, we learn from each other. We educate each other. We support each other. We help find resources for our members and that's an education. And, and then what we learn, we pass on to other people. So it's, it's more, you know, it, it feels like more like a safe place. We can easily discuss problems that we might not going to a public agency, we might not be able to discuss. The collective want to continue the work they're doing and hopefully expand services and events within the new center. Organizer Phoebe Jones was at the space explaining how providing healthy lunches for everyone who works in the center is just part of their plan for sustainable action. We're not lawyers. We are grassroots people who many of us have been through it ourselves. Some haven't, but some have been, you know, experienced. And we pool our resources and we pool our experiences and use it for collective good. So, so when I say that the people... The people who run the center are also the people who use the center. So, um, and we have a commitment to healthy lunch. We're not feeding the masses here. That's not what our purpose is. Our purpose is if you are, you know, taking action or you are volunteering here and you're helping with the work that goes on here, then, you know, we have a commitment to having a healthy lunch so we can all keep going <laughs> and deal with um, our health issues. Work on the center continues to happen, and on November 4th, they will have an open house to connect with the community on their journey. Muldrow sums up what the space feels like. Uh, personally, I just feel that it's a really good, safe place, and so many issues that we face in are caused by poverty and and racism or or whatever and um you know we we trust each other we build trust among each other so we want to bring this out to the community because every issue that affects one of us not only affects us individually it affects our family it affects our neighborhood it affects our general community and it affects our environment so um I think that that's just, to me personally, that's just a beautiful thing. And that's what I really am excited about. Starting with a clean slate is powerful. It can bring opportunities like employment, and housing mobility. People with criminal records as far back as decades have a chance to get them completely erased or expunged from their record at expungement clinics. Two local organizations, Every Murder is Real, or AMIR, and the Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity, or PULSE, partnered to host an expungement clinic on the last Saturday in September, and they plan to hold more. It's one step to helping community members live their best lives and possibly prevent future violent crime. What happens at an expungement clinic? Andrea Lindsay, Director of Strategic Initiatives from Pulse, explains. At these clinics, you can come and complete an intake and all of our services are totally free. 
So you'll complete the intake with somebody from Pulse, which should take you about 10 minutes. And through doing that intake process, you can learn more about the record clearing process, as well as have an opportunity to actually review your public record. So we'll teach you how to do that. It's not going to necessarily show everything, but it's a really great way to get a sense of what's out there about your record and then have an opportunity then to connect that with our services moving forward to take some steps to actually clear that record. Not every record can be cleared. In Pennsylvania, most felonies, violent crimes, and other specific crimes are not up for expungement. And after the initial clinic, the entire process of getting a judge to sign the order and the police department to confirm it can take up to two years or more. But the process is worth it for so many folks whose records have been holding them back from basics like getting new housing, employment, and volunteering. Asia King, the programming coordinator at Amir, talks about how powerful the record clearing process is for many people. It's, it's liberating. Like, they not only feel free, they only they feel positive. They can go ahead and deal with the rest of what they want to do with their lives and don't have this thing hindering them over their heads for years. I had met one lady. She had this record since 1989. 1989. And she was so happy to have this opportunity because it was holding her back from getting an apartment. Lindsay says there's also evidence showing that clearing records can help prevent violent crime in the future. There have been studies that show that recidivism is connected to the ability of somebody to get a job, that if they are denied an opportunity for employment, that they're going to find other ways to meet their needs. So clearing your record is not going to be an overnight solution, but it is part of a long-term and holistic picture for what needs to happen to improve the health of our communities. And it allows people to have hope. There's a real sense of despair that can come from being denied opportunity after opportunity. And it's again, just because of your criminal record. And I think being able to allow people to be their fullest selves is part of this big picture of what a vibrant and healthy community really looks like. King and Amir's team agree. The clinics are free, and King says they know poverty and lack of opportunities is a big part of what adds to gun violence. If you, if you have a clear record and you're able to provide for your family, you're able to move to different areas, you are opening so many opportunities for that one family. So it's going to naturally reduce gun violence. At Amir, we our holistic approach and we service the whole family. So we have families say they need to be relocated, but they don't qualify or they don't, can't go here because it is a record. So we need to help them. That can't be a barrier if we trying to reduce violence in, in our city and eliminate or reduce some of this poverty that is so contributing to the violence. It goes hand in hand. So this, this, um, we jumped at the opportunity. Last time we had the expungement clinic was in June. We had 30 people signed up, lined up in 30 minutes. King says if Amir gets the opportunity, they will host more clinics before the end of the year to provide expungement services 
for as many people as they possibly can. Lindsay agrees that expungement clinics can be one part of the solution. So if you have a conviction on your record, it's most likely that you will also need to apply for a pardon. And a pardon is something that gets decided by the governor. And that pardon is, along with expungement, a way to get that fully clear record. And what's exciting about the clemency process is that there's an opportunity to really tell your story, to be able to say, here are all of the ways that my record has affected me. Here's what I've learned through going through this experience. But here are also my dreams. And it's an opportunity to put that together in a way that will allow you to really move forward in a more empowering way that says, this is who I am. And that's something that we really want to support people with, that we encourage people to apply for pardons and we support people in that pardon process in addition to the expungements. For Block by Block, I'm Maleka Fruin. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you have stories, ideas, or information that you want to share with the Germantown Info Hub, you can feel free to email us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com. You can also keep up with us on social media at Gtown Info Hub on Twitter and Instagram and Germantown Info Hub on Facebook. And additionally, you can read our stories at germantowninfohub.org. And additionally, we encourage listeners to text the equally informed Philly text line which is another program under Resolve Philly, allowing Philadelphians to access information regarding Philadelphia services. The Equal Info Line is a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service. And it provides subscribers with vetted local news and resources. To start asking questions, you can text Equal Info to 73224. Equally Informed also supplies a community-driven print newsletter, and it's available at health centers and libraries all over the city. And that is about it. Thank you to Lynette Metley for speaking to us in her crusade on period poverty. Thank you to Maleka for producing her pieces. And of course, thank you to our neighbors for always listening and engaging. And until next time, good night, Germantown. <laughs>